Hello everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of Nutmegs and Roulettes. Uh, we are a month after our first episode which was at the start of the Women's World Cup. Uh, so we're nearly at the end of the Women's World Cup and we would like to kind of walk you through what happened in the Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, a lot of exciting stuff to cover uh, as well as uh, what to look forward to in the new season of the uh, of the English Premier League which began this weekend, so at the time of recording, which is uh, 13th of August uh, on a Sunday. Uh, we will walk you through uh, what to expect uh, from the Premier League this season, key personnel changes, of which there has been a lot. Uh, I'm with my co-host, Srini. Uh, so, so Srini, uh, yeah, uh, what was your favorite it's moment of the Women's World Cup so far? Yeah, Ganesh, it's been a great month uh, watching the women's football, uh, some fantastic football that's been going on. A lot of our predictions are coming true, I would say, uh, so I'm happy about that. <laughs> just yeah, I mean, just to recap, we predicted, uh, I predicted that Germany would win the World Cup and your prediction that England would win the World Cup, which yeah. is still a very clear possibility. And my dark horse, Australia, is doing pretty well as well, which... Yep. Uh, to be fair, I did not expect. Um, so I've been supporting Australia throughout just because they're the underdog. Yeah. Um, my dog horse, uh, Spain, is in the other semi-final facing Sweden. Yeah, even my like golden ball contender got knocked out in the round of 16. Uh, but it was really disappointing to see my favorite get knocked out at the group stage itself. Quite a bit of a shock there. But this, this tournament has been a lot of like upsets. We have seen like new teams emerge. Uh, yeah. Which was uh, pretty surprising. I mean, the way I think Japan was playing, I, I think at some point we actually thought that Japan would probably go to the end and, and win this. Yeah. Um, which would be like a fantastic win for an Asian country. Um, I mean, they've, they've already won it before. Um, I think back in 2011, I think. Uh, they also have the current contender for the Golden Boot, uh, Miyazawa, I believe, who's on five goals. But uh, you have people queuing up uh, on three goals. I think that's tied... A few players tied for uh, three goals and they're still available in the tournament. Uh, Lauren James is on three, Bonmati is on three, uh, Haley Russell is on three. Uh, so all it takes for them is uh, a hat-trick in one of the two games. A couple of goals leading into the semis and finals. So uh, Yeah. And uh, who was our favourite for Golden Ball? Your favourite was Sam Kerr, I believe. Yeah. So she's not made an appearance, uh, yeah. or a distinct appearance in this tournament just yet. Uh, she's been named in the subs bench against Canada, I believe. Yeah. Uh, but did not come onto the pitch. So both are predictions for Golden Ball winner. Mine was uh, Alexandra Morgan. Uh, yeah, both are predictions in the mud. Uh, um, and I, I hear the the fire brigade coming to rub salt in our wounds. Yeah. Uh, so we have both our dark horses still in the tournament. Your favorite still in the tournament. Who do you think is going to? Who do you think is going to win this whole thing? I still, I still think it's it's going to be England. The way the way they're playing, and uh, the last game against uh, was it Colombia? Yeah, uh, I think they played really well. Yeah, um, they have been playing pretty well throughout the tournament. So, and I think a lot of people have put their hand up, and they are stepping up. Um, everyone's done a good job. Um, so I think England's probably going to nick it. There is no USA um, yeah. to stop them. So I'm I'm fairly fairly confident, even though. Uh, the semis is going to going to be tough for me to watch because it's going to be England versus Australia. Uh, mm-hmm. My favourites was underdog, <laughs> and deep down I'd probably still be supporting Australia just a little bit because they are the underdog. But yeah, by far I think England's going to win. Yeah, they they've had some really good performances, but they've also had some performances where they haven't played well, but they still got and, themselves a result. 
I was really impressed with Lauren James. Um, but she suspended for the game against Australia. So uh, two of the more distinct uh, dis uh, visible players for each country, Australia and England, uh, they will not be part of the semi-finals. So Sam Kerr and Lauren James. But we do get to see uh, Alessia Russo uh, as well, the new Arsenal striker. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, my bet, I think, is to see uh, a final with England and Spain, I believe. So uh, I do think this might be a road too far for Australia. Although, if it, if it happens that we see Australia, Sweden and Australia, Spain final, I'm hoping that they get uh, quite a bit of joy written, um, or the history books written in their favor and they get a lot of joy out of it. Uh, let's also do like a quick walkthrough of what happened, uh, some of the more exciting games that happened in this Women's World Cup. My favorite game was, uh, I think, the Colombia 2 Germany 1. Uh, that was a really good game. Uh, we saw what Linda Caicedo can do, 18-year-old uh, sensation from Colombia, uh, one of the stars of the tournament as well, cutting inside onto her favorite right foot and curling in one peach of a goal on the top in the into the top corner uh, and then Colombia then netting a, a late 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 winner and there's one thing that was predictable about Germany is that Alexandra Pop would pop in with a header uh, that happened as well in that game so easily my favorite game of the tournament it's kind of funny that uh, the way we thought how this how we thought this World Cup was going to shape up uh, we're going to see more of Canada, the defending Olympic champions, and then we're going to see more of uh, the defending world champions, which was uh, the United States women's national team. We're going to we thought we're going to see more of them. In fact, uh, all of TSN's adverts around Toronto showed three countries there: uh, Brazil, Canada, and the U.S. women's US. national team. Yeah, all of them out. Uh, U.S. women's national team out in the round of 16, and uh, the rest out in the group stages itself. So we basically uh, saw Marta in her last World Cup as well. Yeah, it was uh, quite a bit of a shock, uh, but it was also very refreshing to see countries like Colombia and Jamaica, Nigeria and Morocco uh, make it as far as they did. So it's a, it's a really good sign for uh, people to you know, take notice of these teams uh, trying to make you know, uh, a good name for themselves, give a great account of themselves in, on the pitch. Yeah. I just wanted to talk about uh, Australia and France, the penalty shootout. Oh. I thought it was one of the most uh, epic things I've ever seen. Uh, usually uh, at a penalty shootout, I'm a little nervous. I don't really like to watch penalty <laughs> shootouts. I'm always the guy who is uh, closing his eyes, uh, biting my nails, yeah. uh, hoping that somehow the ball goes into the back of the net and people are shouting so I know who scored. Yeah. But this was such a... a topsy-turvy kind of uh, penalty shooter because yeah. as soon as one misses you automatically think the other person would have less pressure and would probably put it in the back of the net but everyone it was either like e either like uh, Australia was missing and at the same time France was missing or Australia was scoring and France was scoring yeah. it was never at a point where one was ahead of the other and it was one of those like, crazy moments where I thought this was probably going to never end yeah. um, and when that last penalty finally went in and uh, I think uh, yeah, France was the last one, and they and they missed it. Yeah, that was when I I was like, yes, this uh, this is a it's a big moment. I think in the history of uh, uh, World Cup football as well, right? It was the yeah. longest penalty shootout yeah. ever to take to have taken place. World Cup game, yeah, yeah, uh, both men and women's combined. I believe so. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah it was like twenty penalties in total to yeah. decide the conclusion of this match, and by the end of it, it's like yeah, fine, the sweet release of uh, a concluded. Uh, football game yeah um, never like never in my life I don't think I've ever had joy watching a nil-nil game and then <laughs> going 
into penalties so far uh, just the whole drama of it uh, seeing all the players support each other even after they were missing the penalties um was was something to behold so yeah, yeah kudos to both uh, i mean france of course for going out but like australia to hold their nerve and and win it at the end it was it was one of the most extraordinary things i've seen yeah i think there were some also like really good performances uh, by individual players throughout the world cup tournament as well la somer had a really good world cup for france katie mccabe had uh, a kind of an underwhelming world cup for the republic of ireland but uh, i thought she was a pretty good performer uh, then there were there was a japanese team who completely obliterated spain with just like what 25% of the possession yeah uh absolute show of of you know cold ruthlessness really good finishing um i think the last goal was like a, a really good top bin finish yeah it was miyazawa uh so good and then we can also look back to where australia turned around their fortunes where they th- where we thought that this is going to be like a repeat of the the men's euro 2012 tournament yes. where the host nations would just go out at the group stages so new zealand went out but australia had held their nerve and knocked canada out in a formal domination thing and they didn't even need sam kerr to uh, step onto the field hayley rasso and catley uh, stefan uh, stephanie catley and uh, caitlin ford are uh, absolutely brilliant in that game uh, so let's bring it back to the semi finals england and australia two of the countries that have shown with recent performances that they can really really do a good job and and play to a very high technical level it can also be argued that considering past histories with uh teams in the other semi finals spain and uh sweden you may want to kind of hedge your bets uh in favor of one of the or of whoever wins the semi final between england and australia Spain had a clear weakness that was exploited by Japan um so I'm not sure if they're going to make it through to the semi-final or to the to the final while Sweden had that uh 4-0 demolition uh sorry they were on the receiving end of a 4-0 demolition against England in the uh in the recent uh European Championship uh the yeah. women's European Championship that was a classic game that was a really good game you remember that uh, yeah, Alessia just... Russo back heel at yeah. that time she was still a Man United striker yeah it was it was a crazy game 4-0 on that and ended So yeah, how do you think it's going to um go between England and Australia? Yeah, I think it's going to be a good game uh, overall. Uh, I I still feel uh, Australia will probably be a little bit more defensive, try to take the game deep, um uh-huh. like they did against France and yeah. they'll probably like to nick it at the end. Uh England I would still say like they are the favorites so yeah, they the will favorites. try to dominate the game and and go from start to finish. I I feel like whoever wins that game uh If if England wins, most likely England is going to win the final. Yeah. If Australia wins, then it's going to be a nice even contest. If it's going to be like an Australia Spain or an Australia Sweden final, mm-hmm. right? Uh, which will be interesting. Uh, home crowd, all of that support. Oh boy! Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, my prediction still is like England's England's going to win this this World this Cup. This World Cup. Yeah. Uh, I think I tend to concur with that overall assessment. Australia, uh, if they go to the final, they're going to be uh, backed by a, a raucous home crowd. uh which we've seen already in this world cup and uh the viewership has been pretty phenomenal spain and sweden uh we may see a surprise there so it would be a- anticlimactic is probably not the right word uh for for it if if you know spain or sweden were to nick it you know spain final losers in the in the group stage against japan yeah uh but they still pulled through somehow and now they're in the semi finals if they get to the finals then they do have players to to cause England problems or Australia problems so I wouldn't write them out just yet Sweden also have had a pretty 
steady World Cup. I don't think they've lost a single game, have they? Sweden have not lost a single game, even oh, wow. in the group stages. So neither have England. Uh, so it is something uh, to watch out for. There, there's also like uh, yeah. for me as an Arsenal player, uh, for an uh, Arsenal fan, Jesus. Uh, we, have, we, we haven't we haven't come to that uh, that parallel universe yet. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that was a nice dream there. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I don't have that kind of an injury record to sign for Arsenal. Um, but yeah, anyway. Um, so, as an Arsenal fan, I think there's a few people, a few players who I can root for on the, on the, on the Sweden side of things, like Stina Blackstenius. But there's also Caitlin Ford uh, for Australia, Catley as well. All right, so finally, uh, let's look at the Golden Ball contenders considering everything that has happened uh, in this World Cup so far. What's your pick of the punch, uh, Shrini? Well, I, at this point, it's, it's pretty much like even Stevens. A lot of players have done really well, uh, so yeah. I'm a little conflicted on... There's, there's no one who's like really uh, done everything by themselves and really stood out. For me, everyone's done their job and they've done pretty well. Yeah, um, so no, no virtuoso, no messy kind yeah, of uh, situation. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So probably like, just because I think England is going to win the World Cup, I yeah. would probably think one of either Lauren James, uh, she's done pretty well, she scored a few goals, yeah. even though she's not available for the semis. Um, and if England go on to, to the finals and win it, she'd probably play, uh, play a major part in the finals. Yep. Um, Lucy Bronze yeah. has been steady. She's done well, uh, so she could yeah. be a contender in there. Yep. Also, um, like a silver ball winner in the last World Cup in France. So yeah, Lucy Bronze has been pretty good in this World Cup as well. Yeah. In Australia, I really liked uh, Caitlin Ford. She's done pretty well. So oh, she's she was been fantastic. Steady. Yeah. Yeah. So she's been very good, uh, very standout player for me in that team. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, I think the the top scorer right now is uh, Miyazawa so she's probably she's on five yeah yeah so she probably stands a chance um, but I think just because England's gonna win I'm, I'm gonna choose Lauren James alright uh, my pick is probably gonna be Steph Catley uh, I think she's been absolutely amazing my Arsenal bias is showing over here but ever since I saw the performance against Canada uh, Australia has been really steady uh, and they've had one of the stronger defences of of anyone in the semi so far, so my preference is that uh, Australia go on go on and win it, and Steph Catley gets the golden ball uh, for this tournament. Oh yeah, before we wrap up the section on uh, the women's World Cup, uh, there's also the FIFA Young Player of the Tournament. Uh, undoubtedly, we'll go to Linda Caicedo. I think she was phenomenal, 18 years of age, and uh, just just a force to be reckoned with. And uh, hope we will see more of her in the upcoming World Cups as well. Uh, and, and and other uh, women's tournaments as well. So yeah, I, I think there's probably not going to be much debate there. I agree. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, our contenders are going to be Lauren James, uh, Steph Catley, and uh, Linda Caicedo for key individual honors in the World Cup. Right then. Uh, speaking of Caicedos, <laughs> uh, this one was from Colombia, but a lot of uh, football news, uh, especially in the last couple of days, have to do with an Ecuadorian Caicedo, uh, Moises Caicedo to be more specific. And we just uh, also witnessed uh, what I like to call the Caicedo derby, Liverpool drawing 1-1 with Chelsea uh, <laughs> in the first Premier League round of games uh, for this 2023-2024 uh, season. How did you think your team performed today, Srini? It's been a few hours since uh, the game ended <laughs> uh, and I've had some time to reflect. Uh, at first, I was pretty... 
I think the first 30 minutes really showed what we are capable of um, and I think this has been the problem with Liverpool uh, last uh, last couple of years especially last year where we start off really well yeah. um, and then it's sort of just the complete momentum shift that happened we never got back after that into the game right. um, and I think I have to be honest like drawing and getting a 1-1 draw at Stamford Bridge with the way we played today was a blessing in disguise um, it shows we still have those defensive vulnerabilities. Yeah. At the same time, also puts pressure on John Henry to get us a defensive midfielder. And uh, this Caicedo, I <laughs> hope this news finishes. I'm tired of uh, seeing his name linked with Liverpool time and again. Um, I have no idea what's happening. Uh, the saga just does not make sense to me, um, the way it's going. so. Yeah, they came out of like literally nowhere, uh, placed in the British transfer record bid of uh, 110 million pounds, beating the previously set uh, record. Also, this uh, in this uh, summer transfer window uh, with Declan Rice going to Arsenal, uh, and then uh, that pretty much prompted Chelsea to kind of you know fork up the amount that Brighton are looking for. So they are the real winners of this whole thing. Brighton, they get about north of 110 million pounds for a player who's just had one good season according to a lot of them but uh, everyone reckons that Kaiseiro has a really good ceiling and will be a, a very good addition to both Liverpool uh, and Chelsea uh, so it remains to be seen uh, but I think uh, uh, Chelsea are going to be a problem this season for a lot of clubs uh, for, for a lot of uh, teams they showed a good amount of cohesion that was sorely missing last season and Pochettino has had an entire preseason with them. He's made some really smart recruitments in players like uh, Nicholas Jackson. He's uh, he's put Colwell into the uh, starting eleven today, and uh, really good performance from uh, some of the youngsters in Chelsea. I think Chukwuemeka looked uh, really good as well in the centre of mid. And we also have probably are going to tire of hearing of how good Thiago Silva is at the age of. 40? I think he's 39, I believe, right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, still fabulous, still flawless. So Chelsea are going to be a problem and we're probably going to see a bit more, a few more additions to their midfield, especially with their impending bid for Romeo Lavia. So Lavia and Caicedo added to uh, that Chelsea midfield is going to make it very difficult for teams to go, go to Stamford Bridge and get a result. It's going to take some time for them to gel uh, a little bit. It's like Jackson today was... He just shows he's he's this beast of a striker who can yeah. really dominate. But at the same time, you saw him like miss a couple of chances, uh, which I think is going to uh, frustrate Pochettino, especially in big games in the season. Right. Um, so I think this is a, it's a work in progress, but I still finish. I still think that uh, Chelsea can finish in the top four. Uh, might be a little bit tough considering some of the other teams who have already strengthened pretty well and are doing really well. Right. Um, but like you said, I really expect Chelsea to give a tough competition to anyone, especially who comes to Sanford Bridge. It's going to be tough for them. Yeah. In other news that probably surprised no one, uh, City went to Vincent Company's Burnley at Turf Moor on the opening day of the season, uh, which was uh, August 11th uh, on Friday. Uh, got a comfortable 3-0 victory, which was uh, pretty much going through the motions, I believe. City did not have to get through second year. They have this guy who scored a goal. Who, what's his name? Uh, Haaland again. He scored two. So that was just basically continuing from last season where City will uh, have no problems dispatching teams from uh, from some of the teams that are you know predicted to finish in the lower half of the table. Arsenal and Nottingham Forest. Let's talk about that. That was a very good game. It was a very interesting game tactically because 
firstly i think it snapped uh gabriel uh, the defender gabriel's uh, 73 run uh streak in the starting 11 so this was the first time he was named in the bench or did not make the starting 11 uh, for 73 games which is a pretty impressive record but it kind of shows the difference in arteta's thinking he wants to be able to rotate uh, a lot and not just rotate personnel but also rotate tactics they kind of went into a strange 3-1-6 kind of a formation at some parts of the game which was really interesting to see so uh timber with his versatility came in from left back and became the third center back uh as back part of a back three uh while parte who started the game uh, or at least was was placed in the right back position inverted as all of arteta's full backs do these days yeah and uh, phenomenal assist by gabriel martinelli and then really good goal by bukayo saka from long distance what uh, a goal yeah just cutting into his favorite left foot and then used one of the defenders as uh, as a reference point and then curled uh, it around uh, that defender for to give matt turner the new uh, nottingham forest goalkeeper no chance i was also very impressed with uh, anthony langa's debut for nottingham forest as well as avonie's goal it was really 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 good lesson in how to stay on the blind side of the defender so ben white until the very very last second of uh, aboni making the contact for the goal did not know that there was a there was an attacker behind him so it was a uh, really good forward play from aboni uh, nottingham forest a uh, really good goal on the break overall arsenal did seem like they were in control but uh, had mild ptsd about holding on to 2-1 leads until the very end so my concern for for arsenal is that they still have they still lack a bit of ruthlessness so they cannot take a 2-0 lead to a 3-0 lead against teams that they should be doing that so that remains to be seen maybe they have had a few uh, significant personnel changes uh, granit jaka uh, left the club after 7 years at the club or yeah 7 years at the club i believe yeah and then uh, in in came kai havertz he struggled a little bit but i believe that his uh, he's got enough intelligence to kind of start to cope with the demands uh, that arteta's football will require NKT was was still oh he was fabulous very good very, very hard very working good. very sharp i really expect him to uh give gabriel jesus jesus a tough time getting back into the starting 11 really sharp and usually when he starts he ends up scoring at the emirates as well so it's an interesting season especially with other teams also strengthening and let's uh go on to one of the teams that i kind of think will end up finishing second this season um second to you know who so man united uh they've made quite a few uh acquisitions the summer across the across the entire uh starting 11 they've made uh andre onana uh their key goalkeeping acquisition there and this will drastically change how they're going to play out from the back uh we've we've seen david de gea uh struggle in the past with playing the ball out from the back uh distribution wise not perhaps the the first goalkeeper you'd think of you know as as uh uh as you know among the top 5 so i felt that that may have limited man united's attacking phase of play a little bit uh stunted last season uh but with andre onana easily one of the best in the world at playing out from the back and his distribution is also pretty world class you will see a lot of that show up uh then they've had uh mason mount mason mount as a midfield reinforcement yeah and uh, rasmus hoyland up front uh they were crying out for a striker uh all of last season to kind of share the burden uh for the goals with Marcus Rashford uh i think he's going to add uh something really refreshing 
it's just the concern of players coming in from the Italian Serie A, uh, coming into the English Premier League and settling in right away. But it's improvements all across uh, all across the back, and they've also tried to kind of uh, get rid of people uh, of personnel who did not uh, have a good stylistic match with Eric Ten Hag and how he likes to play. So are you talking about Harry Maguire? Harry Maguire is one of the ones who struggled with a lot of like really quick uh, positional play uh, um, concepts that Eric Ten Hag likes to likes to employ and they also have uh, shipped off Fred so it's going to be interesting to see how Man United play I think they're going to be a bit more adventurous this season after spending a lot of it uh, trying to squeeze out 1-0 results and I think that's going to get a bit more adventurous uh, I fully expect them to get uh, more points than they did last season and they are my pick to finish second to be honest yeah, absolutely. I think they have a very good attacking lineup. Uh, yeah. So I just feel like every Man United game is one of those where you would probably see like three, one, four, one kind of score lines yeah. uh, consistently. A mm. um, lot of players uh, ready to get on the score sheet. I'm interested to see what happens to uh, Sancho because uh, oh yeah, it's been a while. Um, he's been at the club now, uh, and he's couple of years, couple yeah. of years, yeah, and he's settled in. I I I think it's time for him to step up. Uh, if he, especially if he wants to break into the England team yeah. and and get the position, um, so I'm really looking forward to what happens to Jadon Sancho this season. He's had a very good preseason, um, so I am looking forward as well. He he's been very lively in attack. He also scored against Arsenal uh, in a game in New Jersey. Yeah, a lot of really good things. Uh, I think this is going to be a really exciting season for uh, Manchester United fans. Uh, for Arsenal, in contrast to what else is happening around them. Um, considering the personnel changes, uh, I expect them to finish in the top four uh, with Champions League commitments as well. I believe this is going to be a slightly more difficult season than than before, but I would take top four. Uh, it would be nice if we finish in the top three and automatically qualify for uh, the Champions League. But yeah, I think top four is where it's going to be for Arsenal. Who's your pick to finish? Uh, do you have like an? Uh, who's your pick to finish top four, Shrey? Uh, I'd probably, I'd probably say, uh, I think Man City number one, yep. uh, United number two, Arsenal for me is number three, and then fourth yep. I, I feel is going to be a struggle between uh, Liverpool and uh, Chelsea, mm. and probably one of the dark horses like Newcastle um, yep. and Brighton. I mean Newcastle again, they started the season really well, so so good. I always thought like that last season was happened, but again I wanted to see if they can continue with that momentum. Right. And it, they have been again on fire, so I'm just looking forward to Newcastle playing their game the same James Park and just destroying teams that come over there. Um, same thing with Brighton; they have like these mm. really good uh, midfielders, Mitoma, Solly March, all of these guys, very creative, yeah. who work who work very well, um, and they they are doing a really good job. So I'm very curious to see where they finish. I do think they will at least have a Europa League spot this season. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are two very exciting teams uh, yeah. in, in the Premier League right now. Yeah, big wins for Newcastle on day one as well as uh, Brighton. Uh, or technically day two um, because it was on a Saturday uh, after uh, City played on Friday. So Newcastle beat Aston Villa 5-1. Uh, it's a good day for debutants at St. James's Park. But Sandro Tonali got himself on the score sheet as did Harvey Barnes and Moussa Diaby for... Uh, Aston. Musa Diaby for Aston Villa and Harvey Barnes uh, got the fifth for Newcastle. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of worried that Unai Emery went with a really high line in the second uh, second half that kind of started to open the game up for Newcastle quite a bit. But I was pretty interest, 
uh, intrigued by uh, Aston Villa's acquisitions this uh, this summer as well. They got Diaby, they've got Pau Torres as well, uh, and then they signed Yuri Tillemans as well. They've strengthened in key areas, and we know how good uh, Unai Emery can be at assembling the squad. So he's also got the support of uh, his sporting director, the new sporting director at Aston Villa, Monchi. Despite the opening day defeat, I think uh, Aston Villa will do a good job of finishing uh, in the top seven this season. Um, they've made a really good set of acquisitions. It might take them some time, especially considering the the opening day defeat, and there might be some tactical tweaks going on. So, yeah, Aston Villa to also do a good job and try and finish in the top seven this time. Um, and as for my pick for the top four, uh, I I think it would be Chelsea. Uh, so it would be. City first, United second, Arsenal third, and Chelsea fourth. And the reason why I think Chelsea are going to finish fourth is because uh, Pochettino has done it in the past. Uh, I'm not convinced that Liverpool's uh, rebuild is significant enough to push them over the line. They might uh, push Chelsea really hard this season, but Chelsea are on the verge of getting both Lavia and Caicedo, and that's going to give them quite a bit of firepower, or rather, um, quite a bit of strengthening in the middle of the park to to really uh, start challenging for those positions and they don't have Champions League football this season. They don't have any European football this season. So uh, that will free them up to kind of really challenge themselves and finish as high in the table as possible. Um, yeah, uh, so Chelsea fourth, Liverpool probably fifth in my books. And what about, uh, we haven't talked about Spurs at all without... Oh, Spurs. Uh, Sp- Harry Kane, less Spurs, uh, now led by Son. What do you think about Spurs this season? A new exciting team, team to rebuild? It's a tough one. Um, I I think uh, Harry Kane leaving, it's very difficult to call. Um, it, might, it might either free them up to kind of, you know, play more as a team. Uh, I suspect that they might try and be a bit more tighter as a unit and less attacking uh, at, at the new stadium. I would say they're gonna they're gonna try and focus on making the new the new stadium a fortress. Uh, Son Heung-min is the new captain. They've also had some acquisitions, like a new goalkeeper. Forgot his name. Um, they've uh, also hired. They've also gotten uh, James Madison, uh, who'd been flirting with the move to a top six club uh, for a while. Uh, finally, gets his move to a top eight club because Spurs did not finish in the top six last season. Yeah, and. Um, I think Richarlison might have a decent season as well, as I think some of the other players in the top six who who've had a, who had their debut last season but did not really shine as such. Uh, I expect them to also have a good uh, breakout season as well. Yeah, it's going to be interesting uh, because a lot of Spurs trends have been solely carried by uh, Harry Kane and then Son and the way they combine yeah. the partnership that they've had. So Son has to now start developing that with. Richardson with Kulusevsky. Oh yeah, so with, with um, Kulusevsky on a on a, on a full uh, he, permanent as well. Yeah, yeah, and then of, of course Madison comes uh, coming in adds that very different kind of dimension to their attack. So it is, in all, I think it's a pretty good attack still yeah. uh, without Harry Kane. But I still feel they need to strengthen that a little bit more to even challenge uh, the top four, top five. So it's going to be a bit of a struggle. Um, yeah, I think uh, them not being considered favorites in in any of our predictions can kind of free them up a little bit. It would be surprising um, to see them win a trophy. Uh, kind of hilarious as well that, that Harry Kane left and Spurs win a trophy. Uh, <laughs> but they're, they're a very uh, difficult situation to read right now. Uh, I think how Postacoglu, their new manager, 
gets settled into the new league and, and tries and works with what he has as a as a team. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see that. Yes, they, they'll be there about. I, I expect them to fully challenge and finish in the top seven as well. Yeah. So so it's 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 kind of you know building up that you know you really can't call who's going to finish in the top four uh, among eight or nine teams right now, which is just probably one of the best seasons of Premier League that we're going to uh, look forward to. So you've got uh, all of the the most exciting managers in in Europe right now all applying their trade in England. Bournemouth um, got another manager from the Basque region. So we've got uh, Androni Iraula at uh, at Bournemouth. And uh, we've, in addition to like uh, Mikel Arteta and uh, and Unai Emery, who are already there uh, from the Basque region, uh, I think uh, Lopetegui, uh, who was also from the Basque region, was let go uh, in favor of uh, of Gary O'Neill uh, yeah, at yeah. Wolves. Uh, they take on Man United in the Monday night fixture. How do you see that game going tomorrow? Uh, I don't think I don't see it ending well at all for Wolves. I think uh, United have a lot going on about them right now. Um, they're Overwhelming favorites for that game. I see that game ending in a mauling, pretty much. It would be interesting to see how Ten Hag adapts uh, a new attacking kind of strategy for United. That's what uh, United fans would be most excited to see. There's a lot of there's a wealth of attacking talent that both United and Liverpool have, with strengthening in key areas. I believe to kind of uh, they they'll both unleash them in a way uh, this season. And uh, one last question for you: Do you have anyone else? Who's going to be the top scorer, or are you going to stick to Haaland <laughs> if you had to bet money? I mean, Haaland is—he's uh, really good at not just converting with with almost every shot that he has on target. He he exceeds the average by quite a bit, so it'll likely be him. But what he's also good at is also staying fit. There are not many games he's missed in the in a season, so I—I yeah. I fully expect Haaland to uh, to get the Golden Boot again, but. I do expect this to be uh, a really good season for the likes of uh, Garnacho uh, from Man United, for Cody Gakpo uh, as well uh, from Liverpool. Luis Diaz also looked really impressive in the game, uh, got Liverpool's only goal. Uh, Salah was absolutely brilliant in that game as well. Um, so I feel like players who who were signed in January or last season or, or in the uh, last. Uh, transfer window uh, last summer that is 2022-23 uh, season uh, they had probably like very underwhelming kind of debut seasons uh, so someone like Darwin Nunez who may have kind of adapted to the Premier League is expected to get some goals as well so we can look out for him as well Isak has two goals already to his name uh, he had his debut season last season as well so lots to look forward to I think you obviously not. There's no Kane anymore, um, but Haaland to kind of start scoring in the mid to high 30s for the season. Uh, but you fully expect someone like Darwin Nunez or uh, Marcus Rashford to start cracking the yeah. uh, late 30s. I don't see anyone from Arsenal cracking the 30 goal barrier anytime soon. They tend to share goals among their front line. Yeah, maybe if Jesus was fit, maybe the season, but he's not. So. Probably see again a 20 goal season. Bukayo Saka, Martinelli, all of Odegaard, all of these guys each scoring 20, 25 goals. Oh, I would be happy if if both Martinelli and and uh, Saka or Jesus uh, they share goals above 20. I think uh, our last above 20 goal scorer was Obama Yang uh, in a few seasons ago. Arsenal don't play, play with with a like a a marksman kind of a striker. I don't see anyone from there challenging for the Golden Boot anytime soon. Nicholas Jackson looks like an interesting. 
talent there. Uh, but I also expect him to finish uh, close to 20 goals, maybe on the uh, on the lower side of 20, somewhere around 17 to 20 goals. Uh, so that kind of takes care of the top half of the table. We might see someone like Brighton, maybe a Crystal Palace, maybe a Fulham who did really well or started really well last season to kind of round off the top half. We might see similar candidates who finished in the top part of the bottom half last season to kind of stay there. Let's go to the, the business end of the bottom half, which is relegation. And that's a, that's a tough conversation to have. I, I worry about some of the teams uh, who have Premier League status uh, last season, their plays being threatened. So among the new boys, uh, Luton Town, Sheffield United and Burnley, do you expect any of them to go down? It's, it's, it's very difficult at this point just to judge. Uh, I, I think Sheffield in general is a pretty, has a pretty decent defence. Uh, yeah. I think that they struggle to score uh, goals a little bit. Um, so I, I, I still feel Sheffield might just stay a little bit above the oh. relegation zone. Uh, Luton, I'm not sure. I just saw the one game they got thrashed around. Yeah, by Brighton. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, so... I, I, and just because of the resources that they have, everything about Luton, uh, it, it's going to be a fairy tale season for them, no, no doubt about that. Right. Um, but I still feel like they might not have enough uh, at the business end of the tournament when you have like seven games to go and you have to win six to stay in the league. Right. I don't know if they can do that. So they'd probably be my first contender. Another one that I always talk about is Everton because yeah. I, although although <laughs> I don't really want Everton get to get relegated because yeah who that, you going to banto yeah that's <laughs> going to be one of our uh, Merseyside derbies uh, gone out of the window right um, but again Everton's been struggling quite a bit and I think we they need to have DCL back in full flow to get to that season where they were doing really well yeah um, so I, I I still feel that it's going to be a little tough for for them and. Uh, Burnley again. I just watched that one game against City, and again they've not even. It's very difficult to call if your if your first game is against City. City. That's a, it's a very poor sample to decide if that team's going to survive. Yeah. Uh, I saw quite a few interesting things. Burnley did challenge City, so I expect them to cause other teams a lot of problems. Uh, and Vincent Company take, tends to take a lot of notes from from Guardiola. Uh, he's got Craig Bellamy as well, a seasoned uh, Premier League veteran, by his side. Uh, so I. I think it's going to be a case of Burnley surviving and Sheffield United just barely surviving. I don't have uh, a good reading on Luton Town just yet. So because I know a bit more about the other teams in the Premier League, I think Luton Town uh, probably are a bit odds on to get relegated. But I fear the most for Wolves this season. Uh, They've had a few personal changes at, at, at key personal changes were uh, Lopetegui, uh, the Basque manager that I was uh, mentioning earlier on. He left the club uh, after nine months in charge uh, due to disagreements with the with the board on, on player acquisitions. New manager Gary O'Neill is, is really good uh, in terms of uh, getting Bournemouth to safety last season. So I think he did a really good job in setting his teams up to prevent, you know, getting getting smashed. He did a really good job uh, at Arsenal as well uh, when they when they went to the Emirates and uh, barely lost in the last kick of the game. I I think Wolves will struggle this season and they are uh, one of my picks to get relegated. Yeah, I I fully expect them to be back the following season after spending time in the championship. Uh, sorry, uh, the following season after spending time in the championship. 
Yeah, so right now we are reading as uh, Burnley to survive and Sheffield United to barely survive and I think we are in agreement there, So which means it's two Premier League sides or two sides that had Premier League status last season. Um, they are going to go down with Luton Town. Uh, so my pick are, my pick is, uh, is uh, Wolves and I think Crystal Palace. So the reason why I picked Crystal Palace is because uh, they've not been very bold with the managerial choice. They've gone with a safe choice in Roy Hodgson. Uh, he was good at navigating the struggles uh, uh, last season. But I think uh, they need a, someone a bit more uh, energetic to kind of uh, challenge for a mid-table position or even higher. Uh, I don't think Roy is it. Uh, I, sus- I, I kind of fear for them. Among the others, like you mentioned, Everton is a good candidate as well. Uh, I'm not thoroughly convinced with how uh, they're going to get a good team out and challenge uh, in every game. They might do well at Goodison Park, but I, I also think that some of their struggles from last season are going to continue this season. Uh, what about teams like Nottingham Forest? Did you see you see any of any anything from them so far that 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 makes you think that they're going to survive the season? I think Nottingham Forest is a it's a very interesting team. They have a decent setup. I don't. I don't. It's very hard for me to really put them in that bracket yet. Uh, right. They were doing really well against Arsenal. Um, I thought, like, like a team, like the way Arsenal was playing, especially in the first half, you could almost expect like the other team to just submit and like let in four or five goals the way yeah. Arsenal was playing. But I thought they were defending really well in the second <coughs> half, and. Uh, yeah, uh, like you said, Awonyoi. Awonyi. Uh, yeah. Awonyi. He's, uh, he's something, he's a player that I think Liverpool fans really like just because <laughs> of the soft spot for him. He never played for Liverpool, but he's he's been with the Liverpool squad for I don't know how many years and he had yeah. to be on loan in Union Berlin and all of these other right. clubs. Um, so I think I think they have the goods to survive, uh, but it's going to be interesting. Yeah, season. boyhood Arsenal fan as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I, I thought Alanga was really good as a as a... Uh, as a force for them on the wing, just put on the afterburners and that counter-attacking goal. I, I think they're going to survive the season as well. Alright then, uh, one final look at how the transfer market is going to shape up. Uh, you have clubs like Arsenal and uh, Manchester United who've done their business early and strengthened key parts of their team that needed addressing. Uh, City might go in for replacements for the likes of uh, Riyad Mahrez. Uh, but we expect it to mostly be a formality at this stage. Uh, the, the team's not going to change as much. Uh, Pep's team is really good with sustaining um, uh, seismic changes to their, to their personnel. They're still able to kind of play a really good uh, system of Pep football. Uh, so I don't expect the transfer market to have that much of impact on City's chances on winning silver by the season. Uh, I think they're still overwhelming favourites for defending their, their three trophies that they won last season. Uh, maybe more um, with Liverpool uh, do you see them getting anyone by the end of the transfer window I mean as an optimist I I, I hope that they get uh, a defensive mid and a and really need a, a centre back, back yeah. uh, because we've been struggling at both positions uh, for a while now right um, but but I but but Klopp is kind of is, is kind of a manager who does not just go and panic buy some players available in the market he kind of waits for the player that he wants to, and if if he's not available, he waits for the next window, uh, like we saw with Virgil Van Dijk uh, when he when he yeah. signed a few seasons ago. Uh, so to be very honest, I don't expect anyone uh, to come in. I think oh, wow. is just going to start 
using uh, Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott in the mid, in the mid, um, and then maybe look at the winter transfer market to get a defensive midfielder. Yeah. Um, what do you make of the likes of Bazitich uh, for the defensive mid position? I think he's the only one available in that position, right? He's 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 doing well. Um, he, he's a young player. Um, I think he's the future. Mm. Um, we have uh, invested a lot of uh, talent. Um, and we've brought him up the ranks, so right. I really see him doing well. But again, uh, to play game in and game out yeah. in the Premier League is, is a whole different challenge in itself. And that's where I think Curtis Jones is someone who has been the team. He has learned uh, from Henderson and, right. and everyone else. So I think he he's the one who needs to step up. Right. And Harvey Elliott kind of adds that different kind of flair in that role. Uh, he sort of also played that role a little bit before. Last season when the front three, he could not break into the front three, so he played that position before. So I really see them occupying that position um, but yeah it's going to be a struggle to be right. honest till we find a proper defensive midfielder yeah uh, let's move on to the likes of um, of West Ham uh, they they have agreed a deal with uh, Southampton for James Ward Prowse so they're strengthening areas of the pitch where you know after after a period where it seemed like they wouldn't sign anyone so the outlay on Declan Rice is being reinvested into the rest of the squad in a in a manner not too different from how the bail money was reinvested by Tottenham on on multiple players uh, across the across the starting eleven, but uh, I think uh, Maguire has a really good chance to kind of restore his career after after getting uh, maimed to the moon and back uh, for for some uh, for some for, for some performances that kind of lacked confidence. I really want to give benefit of the doubt because uh, he was a player that City were interested in as well. Uh, there is a good player in there, however, uh, it's just been going through a bad phase. Uh, do you have a pick for uh, the signing of the summer? That is a tough one because there's so many good options um, available. Would you not pick uh, Sabo's life for Liverpool? I actually like McAllister today. McAllister? Uh, yeah. He really uh, held our midfield together. He's the sort of person I think we really lack. Um, and then he sort of is the one who was giving us control, who was holding the midfield together. So I really like McAllister. Right. But to be honest, uh, I think some of the other signings like uh, that other clubs have done, like United have some exciting signings. Yeah. Of course, we've seen Mason Mount. Um, Arsenal, I'm really ex excited to see how Timbers uh, comes out because I, I see a lot of potential in him. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he's a very exciting talent as well. And Jackson again is is someone mm -hmm. who is is a beast, and he could turn into probably like the next Lukaku or or whatever you want right. to see it. So for my summer transfer window pick, um, I think I'm going to go with someone like Andre Onana because he makes a stark difference to how United are going to play uh, this season, and his presence in the team makes that possible. So as much as uh, I would rather have him not have a good start, a good good debut season in the Premier League. Uh, he's got enough quality to to really shine through. Uh, it's good to note that he's going to be probably away for uh, the African Cup of Nations, uh, representing Cameroon. But I think uh, it's going to be a good season for uh, Manchester United fans to look forward to because uh, they've strengthened areas of the pitch where they have been worried in the past. Um, and they've also got really good young talent coming through as well. Uh, I think Mainu uh, impressed in preseason, as did uh, Garnacho, and they also have Sancho thriving in a, in a much more uh, free role in the attack. 
it's it's going to be tough to beat them they're going to be a, they're going to be annoying uh man united i think in a similar vein i would probably pick sandro tonali for newcastle just because he changes right. the way they play because i think they were uh, last season they were all reliant on the wingers yeah almiron and all these oh, guys just running true. in and cutting mm-hmm. and and scoring now you have more midfield prowess like someone mm-hmm. who actually hold the ball put those passes in so i think he's going to like really change the way newcastle are going to play uh, right. this season so i think he's a very very good signing i would never have imagined in my wildest dreams like <laughs> someone like sandro tonali could actually move to newcastle, newcastle like a few years ago yep. so just that happening just shows how big it's become right uh signing of last summer do you have any any picks from there i, I don't think you don't have to look too far uh, away from erling haaland Yeah. uh pretty much uh but i would argue that uh, there's another player in the man city side uh who has uh just about the same kind of claim uh because he was absolutely instrumental in the last 10 to 15 games of the season and that was uh, manuel akanji uh phenomenal defender just signed for 19 million pounds i believe or roughly around that that kind of a mark in this uh market um 19 million pounds for a, for a world class defender like that is is just unheard of. Uh so for him to kind of you know sit in a back four of all central defenders in a new system that Pep employed towards the tail end of last season pretty much ensured that they were in in a strong position to finish uh the season with with the treble as they did. So yeah, Akanji is my pick for last season despite the achievements of Erling Haaland. Um and i think this season it's going to be andre onana so i hate that uh two manchester clubs are getting um <laughs> uh plaudits for uh making really good acquisitions in the summer you never know i, I still think like declan rice could be mm-hmm. your standout player this season and maybe he's the player that arsenal really needed to stand in that midfield and keep control in those games where you really need to win yeah and those the tight ones that you said like you would Two one kind of games where you really need to yeah. have someone to control that. I think Declan Rice could be. Yeah, fun. Declan Rice is interesting because he was uh, for about a couple of weeks uh, the British transfer record. I I really liked his involvement in the game. Uh, I think he's going to be played in a different role to what he was at West Ham. So we're going to try and see if some of his dormant skills get unlocked by Mikel Arteta. I kind of want to give him this season as a as a pass. Uh, for him to just adjust to the new role despite him being primarily proven and everything he's got really good leadership potential and he's already like a very vocal leader in implementing the kind of football that Arteta likes to play it's good to see but the the delta that he adds to the Arsenal side i think it's it's a little less compared to what say an Onana at Man United that's why i'm going with uh, with Onana yeah that's a, that's a good call bold call And that brings episode two of Nutmegs and Roulettes, recorded on August the thirteenth, two thousand twenty-three, to a conclusion. Uh, join us on our next episode, where we bring to you updates, news, analysis, and scandals from the world of football. Until then, cheers.